Welcome to the No Shortcuts Podcast. I'm Edgel Groves. All right. Okay. Okay. My guest today is the legendary producer and songwriter, Steve Dorff. Steve has written at least, I'd say, 20 or more, but at least 20 top 10 pop and country hits during his career. And in 2018, was actually inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. If you're not familiar with his work, uh, you will be. I'm telling you, you know a lot of the stuff this guy's done. He's worked with everybody from Barbara Streisand, Kenny Rogers, Whitney Houston, Garth Brooks, Cher, Dolly Parton, Christopher Cross, Anne Murray. The list keeps going. And he's also scored tons of films and television shows and jingles that you know by heart, but just didn't know it. Uh, anyway, I was lucky enough to meet Steve as a kid. Him and my dad met in the 70s in Atlanta, coming up in the music scene. And uh, we just kind of stayed in touch over all these years. And it was really, really cool to have him on the podcast and to tell his life story and, and give his insight. So without any further ado, Mr. Steve Dorff. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey, nice to see you, Edgel. Yeah, nice to see you. Uh, I think we were just discussing, I haven't seen you in probably five or six years in person. But Yeah, yeah, it's been been a while, yeah. uh, but but I've known you a long time. <laughs> You've known me longer than I can remember knowing you. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yeah, so uh, you've known my dad since, is it the 60s or the 70s? 70s, yeah. Wow. Crazy. Right. Crazy. Right. So yeah, we were both we were both three years old at the time. <laughs> yeah. And you're 25 now. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so how did you uh, how did you actually get to uh, Atlanta in, to begin with? Was that uh, did you grow up there? Or is that where you started? No, no. I grew up I grew up in New York City and um, uh, made my way to uh, Athens, Georgia, to go to college, uh, University of Georgia, Yep. Um, where uh I studied, uh, I was going to be a v- veterinarian of all things, uh, cause my parents didn't want me, uh, playing in bands and uh, writing songs for a living. So, <laughs> uh, somehow, uh, somehow my wires got crossed and, uh, this is where I ended up. Yeah. They, they wanted you sewing up cats instead, I guess that's, uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, I went to UGA for one year, so I was a, a one-time dog in Athens. Go dogs. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, cool. And then, so you, you, uh, somehow didn't end up being a vet and you got into music. How did that happen? Well, I, I would cut classes and uh, drive to Atlanta cause that was the only game in town, uh, Lowry music, Bill Lowry who gave me my start and uh, I would go there and uh, hang out at the studio and, and just, uh, you know, they had all these big hit makers at the time, Joe South and Billy Joe Royal and the classics four. And, uh, and so I just, you know, I was writing songs and just wanted to break in and uh, everybody looked at me like, who is this kid? And, uh, uh, and, uh, so when I got out of school, I, I went to Atlanta and Bill signed me and, um, I spent uh, four years there before coming to California. And, and before you were a producer, were you a musician and composer? Was that really what your skill set was? Yeah, I was, I, I was a keyboard player and a songwriter and, uh, um, just trying to write songs every day and, find somebody to sing them. Cause, uh, when you hear me sing, you'll know why you never heard me on the radio. <laughs> so for me, it was always about getting, uh, 
getting great voices and great artists to record my songs. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of people don't know this, but Atlanta was a huge hub for that stuff in the seventies. There was, yeah, sure was a ton of music sure coming was. out of there. You had the Atlanta Pop Festival that was a big thing. It was kind of like the Woodstock of the South, and uh, mm -hmm. lots of stuff happening. But um, I guess there, there's a, a long history there, and you were right in the middle of it. And so, once you got your deal with Lowry, was that um, sort of the beginning of you getting in bigger sessions, bigger rooms, or did that just like? Yeah, it was. It was really the beginning of me. Uh, producing my demos and uh, someone actually paying me to although it wasn't much but um to to go into the studio and book time and work with other players and start arranging and producing and uh and then eventually um i got to work with uh billy joe royal was the first artist that actually heard a demo of mine and said hey i'd like to cut that song why don't you produce it on me and that was my first first uh, opportunity a uh, group called the tams yep. i don't know if you remember the tams this r&b group i yep. did a did a track with them uh the winstons another local uh uh atlanta band who who had a big hit i think it was called color me father or something uh, oh wow uh, i uh I ended up arranging some stuff for them and uh yeah that was kind of the beginning uh four years of networking within that little Atlanta community and, and trying to make, make a name for myself there. And, uh, uh, and it took all of four years to, to get to, to get to the point where people knew who I was. And, and, um, uh, and then I decided to make the move to California because uh, I just had a bigger vision than, than the Atlanta uh, community. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. You often hear that story. I think I was one of the people that waited too long to get to California. I spent most of my career in the music business in Atlanta thinking I could make it all happen there and then kind of kick myself for not getting out here sooner uh, because I yeah. think it's just a – L.A. is a magical place. Um, but so when you, when you got out to L.A., was it one of those things where you already had connections and you had a place to live or, or was it really just – No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I went out on a, uh, I went out on a, uh, on a week long trip just to see if I could, uh, knock on doors and pitch demos to producers out in Los Angeles. Cause you know, I, I read billboard every week and I followed who was doing what. And I thought, you know what, I'll go to California and see what it's like. And I did. And, uh, Lowry actually sent me out there spent a week there uh, at, at somebody's uh, home, uh, a, a colleague of Bill's, and uh, just kind of got the feel for it and, and said, you know what, this is where I need to be. Went back to Atlanta. I had a six-month-old baby, and uh, yeah. um, my son Stephen was born in Atlanta. And uh, we just decided, uh, you know, this is where I need to be. And uh, so I saved up some money and went back out about six months later to see if I could pitch songs to artists and luckily ran into uh, a guy named Snuff Garrett, who was a major producer at the time who liked what I did. And he offered to move me out and uh, set me up and I worked for him for 10 years. And that's really where I cut my teeth on, on production and arranging and really got my full major league start. 
Oh wow! And so, what what studio were you working out of? Was it was it, was it uh, you know Snuff Studio or was it uh, like Sunset? No, Sound? we we were. He was an independent producer. I, I worked at all the studios: uh, Sunset Sound, Larrabee, uh, RCA, uh, United Western, right. um, which which was the you know the the biggest and the best at the time. A uh, and M. Uh, I worked West. at all of them. East yeah. West. Yeah. Yeah. Worked at all of them. Got wow. to do sessions in all of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's funny. Well, your, your, your son is a whole nother story. He's had an amazing career and he's also got lots of cool stuff happening right now at the moment I see too. Um, yeah. But uh-huh. uh, yeah. So you, you know, so you came out here, you figured it out, you got a job working with somebody and you kind of came up in the ranks, but what was that, was it like that one moment that you identified an artist for yourself for the first time? And you're like, I'm going to take my bets on this person. Was there somebody you're like, I'm going to go in on this. Well, I, I, you know, I was working with a lot of young artists and, and, uh, making what I thought were good records and, and working with, uh, uh, you know, my group of, you know, my kind of class of, of artists that were coming up at the same time, people like Kim Carnes yeah. who went on to, you know, have Betty Davis eyes and, um, uh, just a, a whole bunch of artists. We were all kind of, all the Toto guys were session players. It was <laughs> back before they were Toto. We all played together. Uh, we all did sessions together. So, uh, David Foster had just come to town and, and David and I were friends and, um, so it was all, it was like that graduating class, just all <laughs> coming up together, Melissa Manchester and everybody kind of doing interweaving our careers and, uh, getting songs recorded. And, uh, um, there wasn't any one thing, uh, the, the big, the big moment or break, if you want to call it for me was when, uh, uh, I got a call to write a song for a movie, and it was the first big opportunity I had, and it was Every Which Way But Loose, which was Clint Eastwood, yeah. and uh, wrote the song, and uh, Clint loved it, and uh, we got Eddie Rabbit to record it, and it spent three weeks at number one, and uh, and that was kind of, that really kind of pushed me to a different uh a different level at that point because you know when mm-hmm. it's that old adage when you when you get when you get that first olive out of the jar it's a little easier to get the <laughs> second and the third one and uh, so i was you know it increased my production increased uh the people i was working with um i was getting calls to do songs with all kinds of great talent and uh started to do television and film more yeah. film work and uh, the whole the whole career kind of started to blossom so it was uh, it's a good time but but like the title of your uh, podcast uh, there are no shortcuts yeah. uh, nothing could be more true um yeah it's uh, it's a uh, my career has is a testament to um uh never letting up and uh and everything taking a lot longer than, than you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, by the time you had that opportunity with Clint Eastwood and wrote Every Which Way But Loose, I mean, how many years into it were you at that point? No, yeah, I was well, about six, six yeah. years in. Yeah, to get your... Uh, to get working your... every day and networking and meeting, being at the right place at the right time. Uh, all of that is... Uh, 
paramount to success. It is, it is. And, 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 and the other thing is once you have that first one, that's the, that's actually the easiest one to get. It's having the subsequent ones to follow it up to maintain your career is the tough one. So how did you navigate those waters? Did you kind of follow that path in terms of like doing more movies? Did you kind of follow your nose there or did you, you know, start getting more rooms with people like the Whitney Houston's and the Barbara Streisand's like, how did that kind of happen? Or did you, did you have a path or navigate that on your own? No, I, you know, that's a good question. Um, cause, uh, uh, I don't really, you know, I don't know the consecutive story, even a book I wrote, which I, <laughs> I wish I had a, uh, I wrote a book about, uh, I was asked to write a book, a, a kind of a, a memoir and, and, um, and even that is out of sequence. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of hard for me to put in, into sequence how different artists got, I was attracted to, I, I was kind of doing the record thing first. Mm. Um, my songs were starting to get recorded by, uh, artists like the Carpenters, uh, Dusty Springfield. Um, mm-hmm. I remember getting a call because someone heard an arrangement that I did and a production I did on, on one artist. And I got a call to maybe work with Dusty Springfield, who I, idolized a great british singer and yeah. uh, um legendary and so i got to produce her and that was a, that was a major breakthrough for me to be to have my name on a on a record with her um all kinds of artists jermaine jackson um i worked with jermaine uh, christopher cross um and then the movie thing came along and uh and uh, once every which way but loose hit, uh, I got to ask to do the next one and the next one. And then I got an offer to do a television pilot called Spencer for Hire, and uh, uh, which was an ABC movie of the week. And uh, that turned into a three-year series. And when that started to hit, yeah. then I got calls to do other TV pilots and, and Murphy Brown and growing pains and major dad and Columbo. And they were all, Oh my God, they were all successful. And, uh, you know, um, when that happens, you just kind of go with it. And, and so from that other people hear about you, they see your name. It just opens up more doors. That's what I think is so cool about your career. You don't have that uh, that uh, you know straightforward path a lot of people do that I I talk to or no, know. No, uh, my the diversity is really what what uh, what I think is the uh, the real signature of my careers is has been the diversity of artists I've worked with, the genres I've worked in, uh, from R and B to pop to country um, to theater the film i mean that's that's what's so cool you've done so many theme songs and tv shows and movies i mean that's just such a different path i mean on my my last episode i interviewed a guy named eli brueggemann who's the basically the music director for you know saturday night live and Hmm. you know i was talking to him i'm like how in the hell did you get a job becoming the musical director for saturday night live that's and and for him he started off as a jazz musician then a studio musician then touring and it kind of just rolled itself into it but you know for you there's not many producers out there that can say they've written hit theme songs hit soundtracks and also had billboard chart topping stuff with pop stars 
and R&B mm-hmm. stars and country stars. I mean, you're kind of genreless, which is what I think is really cool about what you do too. And <laughs> that's a good, that's a cool term. It, it's a cool way of putting it's it. A, yeah. It's an amazing thing. I mean, uh, it, it, you know, most people, they do one thing really well, but you kind of covered all the ground. And, and I think you're, you're, for that reason, your phone kept ringing on all those years, right? It's just, everybody's like, well, if, if somebody can do it, it's Steve, you know? Well, I, I think there's some truth to that. And, but also when one area started to slow down, I could pick it up in the other, which kind of carried me through. And then all of a sudden the television, the sitcom thing became the hot thing for me. I had like five on the air at the same time. And and so I was getting calls to do this pilot and this pilot. And some of them didn't go, but, but the ones that did go were monster hits. I mean, Murphy Brown was 10 years, uh, uh, Reba ran eight years. Growing Pains ran eight years. Uh, wow! Um, and then and then I started doing more long form, which is what I really wanted to get into more underscoring, theatrical underscoring. And so Murder She Wrote. I did the last four seasons of Murder She Wrote. I did several Columbo two hour movies of the week, and uh, um, and and so the the diversity and the and the varied jobs because they were so different, they kept me very involved and they kept me very enthusiastic about what I was doing. So if the record thing kind of slowed down for a while, or if I wasn't writing as many songs, which I wasn't when I was doing so much television, because there's just only so many hours in the day. Yeah. Um, But the songwriting is really what brought me to the dance. You know, I started as a teenager writing songs and, and uh, and that's uh, and that's what I'm still doing today. Right. It's, so. it's all about the song. Right. <laughs> At the yeah. end of the day, it's all about the yeah. song. So just for the people listening uh, that will be listening to this from an educational standpoint, what's the what's the value in uh, doing more of the long form and underscoring stuff and, and the theme song stuff as opposed to working directly with an artist and trying to find a hit song for them uh, or write one? I mean, is there from your you know, perspective, is there a, uh, you know, a bonus to, to, to getting into that side of the business and, and the payoff? Well, it's just too, it's, it's utilizing, uh, different musical muscles, really. Uh, when I'm writing for a film or, or a, uh, an instrumental project, uh, I don't need anybody else in the room. Um, I don't have to worry about a lyricist. (laughs) I don't have to worry about lyrics. I don't have to worry about an artist ego. Um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's pretty much, I'm looking at a screen and watching a visual and coming up with whatever that, whatever it's speaking to me musically. And uh, I sit at the keyboard and, I write, there's no parameters as to time signature, uh, length. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a blank canvas when you're doing a record for an artist, you're dealing with trying to come up with a hit song that's telling a story in three and a half, four minutes. Mm. And you're, uh, dealing with, uh, vocals and, uh, lyrics and, uh, it's a whole nother, you know, there's a lot, a lot more uh, chefs in the kitchen when doing records than, uh, there is that, than the other. Yeah. That has to be a cool moment though, where you go to the movie theater and you, you see, you see the, on the big screen, something that you, 
or uh, were part of and your music comes up in the in the intro or in the background or even watching TV was that a like the first time you saw like Murphy Brown or something like that where you're like this is wild is that a weird feeling um yeah it still is it, it's <laughs> funny i was wa- i was watching TV the other night real late couldn't sleep was turned on and there was a Columbo movie on that i did and uh, and i ended up watching it and i you know and cuz i hadn't seen it in 20 something years and uh, <laughs> i'm watching it and i'm listening to the music and thinking ah that wasn't very good i could have done that better <laughs> and and th- but then at the end uh, you know when it says music by steve dorf it, it was like wow you know shit that you know that was really cool to see that <laughs> after all this time and and it's and it's still fun to to hear your song on the radio to hear to hear a song of mine in an elevator or in a dental office or you know <laughs> um <laughs> It's always fun. You know, it's always good. So how have you navigated the waters of, uh, you know, technology and how things have changed from the, the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s? I mean, everything has changed drastically, and especially in the last 10 years yeah. with streaming. But, you know, how did you make the leap from making hits in the 80s and then grunge music coming along in the 90s and sort of flipping everything on its head? Like, what was that transition like? Um, I kind of <laughs> kind of did that and... Yeah. went into doing Stay doing away, yeah. something else you know i've i've always stayed very true to what i do i know my limitations i know what kind of music i i don't want to r- try to write or don't understand um and so i think by being uh uh, uh very pointed um to to what i uh, to what i do and and what i know i can do well, um, that's kept me focused on, on what I do. I don't really think too much about what other people do because it's out of my control. You know, I, uh, I can only, I can only do what I do. When disco came in, I just said, you know what, I'm taking a time out here. It's just, uh, it's just not what I do. And, uh, and not, not to say that I didn't try once and it was so awful that, uh, I just said, nah, I, th- I think I'll go back to the orchestral thing and uh yeah um your album was but, your album was one of the ones that made it into the uh the the uh burning on the uh the, the baseball field in chicago right the disco sucks moment <laughs> right <laughs> probably um but but a good question that you asked about technology because that that has been a challenge you know learning you know it used to be where uh everything was ears your ears you you listen to music you you couldn't see see anything you know when you had to do edits or splice tape you were using your ears not your eyes now with pro tools and logic it's become totally different you're still listening but it's a very visual medium and so yeah like everybody i i had to learn and get proficient at pro tools and um and it's been great. It's it's actually really enhanced uh, what I do because I've basically got the orchestra in my house um, if yeah. I need it. And and uh, you know I've got all the all the stuff that uh, most of the guys have. And um, it's just a matter of how far do you want to take that? How how much of your time do you want to spend on becoming really uh, an expert at, 
at programming and and uh, and playing. You know, I, I'm a pretty good player, so uh, I had that going for me. Um, it was just a matter of uh, how much of how much of the electronic uh, and the new technology did I want to uh, really become proficient at yeah. to enable me to keep doing what I do. Yeah, I so. think there is a moment where it can take away from the yeah. the. Yeah. I still there's no st- substitute for great players, and I still you know uh, yeah occasionally I'll do a bass part a keyboard bass part and occasionally I'll program drums, but still there's nothing like going getting in the room with amazing players and and uh and tracking something up you know yeah yeah you know this it's a rare moment these days but i still have been lucky enough to be in the studio a few times and record full band stuff and and be in a room with a real producer and there's an ssl board in the other room and you're like wow this feels ancient but it's also right you know but it feels like you're going to church or you're going to some museum in a way it's like it feels so amazing to just be like you know what this is a special place and i i really hope um those institutions never go away if you ask me i really hope that the studios stay forever i i don't think they i I don't think they'll go away totally i I think the advent of uh well first of all this pandemic obviously has made it pretty imperative to 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 work you know fortunately i have a great studio here in my home where i can do almost anything um uh, but i i do file sharing i'll send stuff out to guitar player friends of mine and you know because i i don't play guitars and so much of what i do is guitar based and so i'll have guys send me you know i'll do keyboard mock-ups send them to them they'll send me back files and um i'll do vocals that way sometimes uh sometimes they'll come in and do stuff and um but there's nothing like great players because that's that's you, you know you are limited when you limit yourself to just the midi Mm-hmm. The stuff. You know? Yep. Yep. That is true. <clears throat> like you said, you start doing music with your eyes. And I think that at some point it starts to dilute the beauty of, of what you can create in your own mind with your ears. Yep. Um, yep. yeah. So, so if you don't mind, um, like kind of digging into the past 20 years, like once the like 2000s hit, what did you, uh, start getting into and focusing on? I know you were still doing a lot of TV stuff, um, uh, mm-hmm. at that time. And I think we were in touch and, uh, at that time, you were doing some stuff with my dad, but you know, over the past twenty years, what's been your sort of trajectory and focus? Well, I've kind of got back to uh, just basic songwriting, um, writing songs for great artists, and uh, I've been very fortunate and blessed that uh, artists like Celine Dion and Barbara Streisand and Kenny Rogers and um, have like my songs well enough to record them i mean it's just it yeah. just doesn't get any better than that and uh nope. and and i've had uh quite a quite a lot of success in country music which is which has been fun um not that i sit down and say i'm going to write a country song or an r&b song or a pop song i just i just try to write a a meaningful song and then hope that uh someone hears it and wants to do it. So I've been doing a lot of that. I've been doing a lot of arranging and producing for other artists and uh, uh, just recently finished a piano orchestra concerto uh, that I've been working on for about a year since this pandemic hit. I 
figured I'll never have another opportunity of downtime <laughs> where where I've got the time to really do this. So, uh, and that's been very challenging. And uh, yeah, that's this has been the year for it. Everybody's discovering themselves again and reallocating right. resources to all the stuff they said they were going to do. And then this year, everybody's like they're, they're calling bullshit on everybody. Like, hey, if you didn't do it this exactly. year, you're never going to do it. Um, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it brings up a good point though. You spent most of your career in LA and California, but, um, mm -hmm. when I was talking to you a few years ago, you were, I mean, you were on a plane every other week. It seemed like back to Nashville cause you had so much work there. Yeah. I was getting a lot of calls to do string arrangements and, and, uh, and arranging for a lot of great artists here. Um, and so that was, uh, and a lot of great producers were calling me and, and asking me to come into town and do uh, strings for the likes of George Strait and Winona and Clint Black and Reba. And uh, I know I'm leaving a bunch out, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. McGraw. And, you have any, and so, you have any names so, I might recognize? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so it was uh, that was a lot of fun. And I, I was coming in. Uh, quite a bit, six, seven times a year, flying back and forth. And I have oh. a lot of friends here. And my son was here, Andrew, uh, who was doing amazingly well writing. And um, and so it was really a matter of uh, finding that time to where I wanted to push the button and, and move here. Um, I was always interested in maybe having two places, you know, having a place in Nashville, having a place. But that that just wasn't that didn't work out. So I, I went back and forth until I got to the point where I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to pull the trigger and, and make the move. And I did uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. And for people listening, like, what, what would you say is the main difference outside of the genre, like the country music thing that everybody thinks Nashville is all about? But like, what's the main difference between L.A. and Nashville and your experience in terms of, you know, finding work and connecting with artists and 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 being able to get things done. Do you think that Nashville has its own, its own, uh, angle? Oh, definitely. I, I think Nashville is, is, is where LA was 15 years ago. You know, there's still, there's still a great sense of community here. Um, a musical community, mm. uh, you go to restaurants and you see other writers and other producers and, um, Whereas in LA, it's so spread out now. Um, you, it's very difficult to, to you know, and it takes so long to get anywhere in LA. You know, <laughs> yeah. take an hour and a half for me to drive to my mailbox. You know, um, <laughs> so uh, whereas here, <clears throat> there's a real, you know, pre-pandemic, there was you could see people, run into people, run into artists every day, and um, and that's the way it used to be when. When I was in L.A., when I started, you'd run into everybody in the same building, you know, yeah. uh, and uh, and that that was really missing for me the last uh, two or three years in Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, the community aspect. And here, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a lot of studios and a lot of great players here, a lot of great writers. Um, there's just more to do musically here. I think right so now. too. When I'm, at least when I visit Nashville, I, like you said, when I go out, I run into everybody. I bump into people at the mm -hmm. bar or the restaurant. And the right. next thing you know, you're being invited to a barbecue 
or to somebody's house for lunch or a writing session. And there's this sense of, you know, we're all going to do this together. Nobody's keeping it right. separate. And it only takes 10 minutes to get across town. It's, 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 more, exactly. it's more like a town, not a city, which I love. You know. Well, the the quality of life is that was one of the main reasons why I moved here. It's just uh, uh, the quality of life is is really quite a quite a, an upgrade. Um, yeah. Uh, from cost to uh, just no traffic, <laughs> uh, you know, and they complain about traffic here, which is yeah, really yeah, yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're going to, we're going to turn this yeah. into a, a bitching session about LA traffic, but I, I think we all, yeah. all need to get it off our chest at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, but so I always, I like to ask this when I'm talking to guests, um, you know, if there's any advice you would give to, uh, you know, young producers and writers and musicians, um, that are listening to this, you know, that are coming up and trying to accomplish what you're accomplishing. Is there anything that stands out? Any advice? Well, the advice I, I usually give, and and that's a pretty frequently asked question is, is, um, be prepared to be rejected every day. And, um, if you, if you don't wear that coat of rejection, well, uh, it's not the right business to be in. You be, be ready to, uh, uh, pick yourself up and dust yourself off a couple of hundred times a week um, because it's uh, it's extremely competitive and doesn't ever get easier. Doesn't matter how many hits you have. It's um, it's an extremely competitive and uh, uh, it's just the nature of, of the creative business. Whether you're a script writer, a songwriter, an actor, or an actress, um, it's really it's really the same thing. Yeah. It's cutthroat. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you gotta be able to pivot at any point. And you mentioned that earlier, you know, you gotta be able to, to pivot when things change in the industry and you gotta know what you're good at and you gotta be open yep. to working with new things and learning new technology and rolling with it because you can get left in the dust if you don't. Yeah. And be, and, and be true to who, who you are either as a writer or an artist. Uh, if you, if you're an artist, don't, don't try to, be like someone else just because they're the hot ticket at the moment yeah you know, mm. because that that doesn't last um i think you have to you have to stick to what you what you really know and what's in your heart either as a writer or an artist and uh, um and hope that uh you find that moment when something breaks yeah that's true and how important uh would you say it is to to be a a likable character and somebody that people want to stay in touch with. <laughs> that definitely helps. <laughs> Being an asshole is not, <laughs> doesn't really work in this business. Um, yep. uh, no, it's, you know, I mean, be respectful of other people's talent and, uh, and their time. Um, I know that's what I expect from, from people. If, uh, people don't, uh, respect my time or, or, uh, um, then, uh, you know, find someone else to work with. Yep. 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 Don't be an asshole. Rule number one. Um, yep. and, and speaking of respecting time, um, I will let you get back to your day here, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Always nice to catch up with you. Thanks, Agile. That is great to see you. Please, uh, give my love to your dad and, uh, um, uh, it's great to see you and uh, best of luck with everything you're doing. Yeah. Thanks. And let me know. Stay in touch. Yeah. Let me know how I can help too. Mm -hmm. And when I'm in Nashville, I'd love to, you know, grab a uh, lunch or dinner or something and catch up. Mm -hmm. 
You got a deal. You got my number. Yep, indeed I do. All right. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Okay, Edgel. Take care, buddy. Take care. Bye. Bye.